Hey, everybody. It's Jackie Johnson, host of Natch Butte. We talk skincare, we talk makeup, we talk all things beauty. And my guest this week is Ariana Maddox. Hi. What do we talk about, Ariana? Oh, my gosh. We answer all of your questions. We do. We talk about how our dogs were in a Pharrell video together. We talk about... Um, exfoliation. Oh, we talk about exfoliation. We talk about uh, tanning, self-tanning. We talk about laser hair removal. We, we go there. We dive, do a deep dive in my makeup bag. We And Tom's. And Tom's. <laughs> and Tom's Sandoval's. So maybe check out Natribute this week and see what we're talking about. See you there. Guys, I want to tell you about a great sponsor I have, Bompus. They're premium high-performance athletic socks, and they're so comfortable you're never going to want to take them off. And because socks are the number one requested item in homeless shelters, for every pair of socks purchased, Bompus donates one pair of those to those in need. Almost one million pairs donated to date. 15% off the first purchase of four or more socks. Plus free shipping. So go to getbompus.com slash feral and buy some comfortable socks. Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. Uh, I don't know if you can hear it. I'm uh, recording this in my uh, apartment, and there's like weird church singing outside my window. Cause it's churchy times, everybody. I'm recording this on a Sunday. Why wouldn't there be church music in my apartment? I'm an avid worshiper of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Avid. I'm a creationist, everybody. I don't know if you know that about me. I believe that the world's only been around for 5,000 years, that Moses uh, split the sea, bushes uh, on fire, talk to me, and um, and women don't get pregnant when they get raped. I'm sorry. I'm a born-again Christian. That's just who I am. I'm not going to deal with science. Why should I deal with science? Why should I deal with fact? God has a plan for me. God has a plan. It's a really shitty one, and it's I'm like, hey, can we rework this plan? God, let's get together, talk about this plan. Can we? Because I don't like, it's kind of bullshit. Because I'm, I'm living in a hovel in Glendale, California. And I'm just telling you where I live in case there's some crazy person out there who doesn't like my show and wants to come shoot me. Uh, they can find me at the Ralphs, usually in the beer section. So <laughs> if you're going to kill me, come to the Ralphs, everybody. I'll be buying that Hawaiian beer. Oh, it's delicious. Can't think of what it's called. Longboard. I drink the longboard. Uh, <laughs> I do. Oh, yeah. Speaking of uh, beer, I was, um, I, I thought Obama would be the kind of president you can have a beer with. I'm wrong. You show up at the White House at four in the morning with a 12 pack and a doobie, you get tackled by some dudes. Not a president you can have a beer with. Really, uh, really disappointed. I'm So, you know, maybe I'm a Romney guy now. Maybe I'm a Romney guy. Maybe I'm going to show up to the Romney campaign with a bottle of tequila and some poppers. You know, <laughs> maybe, maybe. And if you know what, if he wants to do a couple shots with me and some poppers, then guess who I'm voting for, everybody? The guy I could drink with, because that makes a lot, a lot of logic. I would love it if Romney did poppers. Maybe uh, Ann Romney does poppers so he could pop it in his butthole, in her butthole. Maybe it is. Maybe it is a he. Maybe he's anti-gay marriage because he married a man and he wants to fucking deny it. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great? Maybe maybe Ann Romney takes it in the butthole. I hope she takes it in the butthole, everybody. You know, maybe could you take away the Mormons having ability to have uh, multiple wives, and then they got to put it in the butthole, so then it's like they got two wives. Two wives, you know, two holes in one wife <laughs> makes two wives, everybody. <laughs> uh, I don't think Ann Romney blows him, though. He's too stiff. He's not getting good at Ann Romney blowjobs. I want a president who gets good blowjobs with, like, maybe a little... Uh, index finger tapping on the butthole, you know, really make the president fucking blow one. Because, <laughs> you know, I want a relaxed, cool-headed president, not a guy who's like, fuck, I need to get laid. Ah, let's blow up China. That's, I'm sorry, but that's, God, I could think about Ann Romney giving blowjobs all day. Just like, like one of those uh, multi-blowjob festivals where she's just like in a circle. Like maybe if he does get an elected president, she'll just knee, kneel on the table and just do a, like a circle blowjob thing, Ann Romney. There's nothing better than thinking of a potential first lady sucking dicks to really just level out the score there, everybody. Level out the score there, everybody. Uh, I was talking about creationism earlier. And uh, yeah, I, I watched this documentary where the Dalai Lama, the Dalai Lama will side with science over spirituality. 
Now that's uh, maybe that's how everybody, you know, the fucking Catholic Church still stuck in the Dark Ages. We got these people. To me, evolution is proven by the fact that we still have these people who are baboons who are like creationism. God created the world. Nope, nope. I don't care about those dinosaurs. God, God created it. God. Nope. Sorry. God. God. <laughs> it's like really because uh, if the world was five thousand years old, then why? How do we have oil? How do we have those that those that? How did those dinosaurs turn into oil? from millions of years ago. Those are those are gifts from God. So we could drive our cheap Cherokees. Yeah. God wanted me to have a cheap Cherokee. I prayed about it. It's God's will for me to uh, ruin the ozone and drive around in my cheap Cherokee. Sorry, God. Really? What, what about dinosaurs? Oh, those are giant poodles. Yeah. God liked to throw tennis balls for dogs. And uh, so God created these giant poodles. It's just their bones look like dinosaurs. They're really giant poodles. <laughs> yeah. God like No, God. God's one of those Frisbee guys you see in the park. You know, throws frisbee under his leg, his dog chases it. That's God. That's how I like to think of God. Uh, I have a dog. A lot of people ask me if my dog was a rescue, and uh, it was a break-in. It was a breakout, jailbreak. Yeah, I drove a truck through a vet, a couple ski masks, shotgun, took the dog I wanted. It's a lot more exciting that way. I appreciate my dog more. Jailbreak. Fucking get that dog. Get that dog. Hey, everybody, I'm a creationist. God created my dog. Nope. Wasn't born in a litter. God created it. Uh, I'm a, I'm a born-again Christian, and I'm going to deny fact and women's rights. Hi, I'm a born-again Christian. I'll pray for you, even though I'll say really condescending, horrible things to you. And uh, I hate gay people, because I'm a born-again Christian. Oh, wait, God pre pre preached love? Oh, no, he didn't. I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> Woo! It's a Sunday morning here in Glendale, California, where I live. Uh, today's conversation is with a guy named Brian Lewis Saunders, uh, he's really fucking fascinating. He's done a portrait every day for 17 years. Sometimes he does more than one. Uh, so he's got like over 8,000 of them. Uh, he's also a stand-up tragedyist. Uh, he's a really interesting dude. Let's get to the conversation. I, I can't say enough about this conversation. It's uh, he's, he's by far one of the most interesting guys I've talked to. Um, so let's get to it. Thank you. Um, so I'm just going to, uh, start. Is that acceptable with yeah, you, Brian? Yeah. Uh, did you go, I know your name is Brian Science. Is, is it Saunders? Yeah. Saunders. And with you? With a U. Pardon me? Saunders with a U. With a U? S-A-U-N, not like oh, Sanders. Right. And, uh, cause I, on your email, typhonated, that's it, right? Or am I crazy? Is there three names or where did I get that? Brian Lewis Saunders. That's what I go by because, uh, when I first got a computer, I was a late bloomer to technology. Me too. But I typed in, uh. When I decided to be somebody, I typed in Brian Saunders, and there was a lawyer and a criminal already named that. <laughs> and so I was like, well, Brian Lewis Saunders. And then there was nobody named that at that time. That was probably even before Google. And so uh, I thought, well, I'll just be Brian Lewis Saunders. But uh, a lot, of, some people like will say, oh, that's a douchebag. You can tell he's a douchebag. He's got three names or something. But I just didn't want to be a lawyer or a criminal associated with. Him. Right. Those are those are real douchebags, actually. Yeah. <laughs> really. <laughs> Brian Lewis Saunders sounds like a poet and a, and an artist, which you are. And you are, you do you. Uh, what sort of art would you uh, uh, say that you do? It's uh, you do a lot of self-portraits for a start. Yeah, that's first and foremost every day. I've never missed a day since March 30th of 1995. Really? I've never missed a day. Sometimes I do as many as nine a day. It depends on what all's happening in my life or in my environment, how many I'll do a day. But uh, only one time did I ever think I missed a day. And I'd broken up with a girl and got really drunk off early times. Do you know yeah, Oh, I've had some early times. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oftentimes I've had early times. <laughs> so, you know, I know what happened, uh, but um, I came back the next day. Uh, I got lost in a blizzard on foot, wandering around. I kept finding my way back to the liquor store, but I couldn't find my apartment in this blizzard. And then uh, ended up at the girlfriend's house that I broke up with. Stayed there for a couple hours, and then she took me back to my place the next morning. And I was like feeling like dog shit. And I thought, oh my god. And I didn't even do my self-portrait for the day. 
like, how can it get worse? Like, this is just, fuck, my brain is just wrecked. And uh, opened up the door. I was living in an office. I was renting an office to live in. And I um, opened up my door, and my sketchbook was laid out on the floor. And I had found my apartment when I was drunk, did a self-portrait. I guess I was blacked out because I thought I was lost the whole time in the blizzard. And then when the, my girlfriend saw the picture, because the book was like right there, laid out in front of the door on the floor, she said, you sounded exactly like that on the phone. Because I had like these weird devil ears and my face was all scrunched up and angry and shit. And she was like, that's exactly how you sounded last night. And I was like, wow. And then after that, I realized no matter what, I will never miss a day. Never. I'd have to be in a coma. Wow. And I'm, I, would, I would guess, in a, what is that, roughly like 20 years of doing this? 17. Seven, that shows you my math skills right there. <laughs> yeah, 17 years. Seven, I would imagine that over 17 years there's been like uh, some other challenges and other breakups. I would hope there were some other ladies in there. <laughs> yeah, but none. Of, they've all been a lot better than that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, now, how did you, how did you, was there ever days too where you were just like, oh man, I, all right, I'll do one? Or has it always been something that you get really excited about? And Well, for 10 years, that was all I did every day, all day, except I worked at McDonald's. I was like 35 or something working at McDonald's still. And just so I could just do self portraits all day, every day. And uh, then uh, after about 10 years of just putting my feelings in this little 8 by 11 form every day, like I was really, like my family and my friends would say, you got to do paintings for other people. You got to get out of your boxing yourself in. And I'd just be like, this is my life. This, this, it's not just about one self-portrait. It's about doing it every day for the rest of my life. I'm going to do it every day until I die. And I would be, like, really defensive against people. But then uh, after 10 years, I just uh, kind of decided that uh, put, put it narrowing everything into such a – confining it into such a small format was really uh, building up too much into me, and I had to just, like, go and let – do something else to let it all out <laughs> because uh, otherwise I would have gone completely insane and so I went to uh, I decided I was going to become a famous comedian in China and I how, spent, do, how do you get come to that is, conclusion because uh, my family uh, I had some cousins a cousin on meth and uh, some other crazy drugs and uh, I had a whole lot of uh, uh, my aunt my great aunt was on had Alzheimer's in the late stages and like she couldn't remember anything past 18 seconds and I would time her she'd ask me something I'd give her the answer then she'd ask me again and I'd look it was like 18 seconds so this was all she could remember and so I was living in like this really chaotic world and everybody was like arguing and all this stuff and it was all nonsense to me and I thought well I'll be better off in China like not understanding anybody you know just like something like this and so then I got uh, on eBay I paid 50 bucks for like a whole bunch of dictionaries and flashcards and cassette tapes from Australia on how to teach yourself Chinese and so then I decided well I'm going to become the best uh, comedian in China ever, and uh, <laughs> and I'm going to uh, go where there's no tourists at all, no white people at all, in a city of like five million or seven million. Be the only person there that's making fun of George Bush and saying all this crazy stuff. It's not threatening to them, you know. If I like say crazy stuff and uh, about the United States and everything, and uh, so then I go and do a Chinese wedding. I do a stand-up routine in Chinese and. New York and I was a big hit and uh, oh, I'm just making sure that was on and uh, I was a real big hit and everybody loved it and I said I'm gonna do it I said within one year I'm gonna have my own TV show and then after that I'm gonna start doing blockbuster movies in China and so then I'd go to China get off the plane everyone can understand me but i can't understand anybody because i'd been i learned it in a trailer <laughs> with any without talking to anyone you know right and so then uh after like two or three days, I met a guy f from a Chinese person that had lived in the U.S., and so he knew some English, and so I asked him, where's the comedy clubs? You know, where can I, I'm going to be a famous comedian and here and everything, and uh, he said, we don't have stand-up comedy here. There's no such thing. 
And like all my all my dreams were shattered. I was like, <laughs> I just spent nine months in a trailer in all this madness, teaching myself Mandarin so I could be a Chinese superstar. And now they don't even have such a thing in China. Like it was it was real troubling. And so then when it, I love China though, everything about it. I how how long were you there? Uh, over three months, and because uh, they would they would not renew my visa, and I would do my routine on the corner, and every day I'd have big crowds like with really. Their, yeah, when uh, if I started, I'd pick a different corner in a city every day, start talking to someone, start working in jokes. Within like say ten minutes, be eighty people. Within like thirty minutes, would be like three hundred people all dying laughing. And like they they have like different things I'd learn when I was over there. I'd see like little uh, social customs or something that were funny. And so like uh, one thing was. Um, if ever I was starting to bomb, and like people, I could see like the people, the crowds getting kind of bored or something. All I had to do, I always had a spare piece of paper in my back pocket, and all I had to do was take that paper out, crumple it up, and walk through the crowd and throw it in the trash can, and they would just die laughing because everybody just throws their trash on the street there. Really? And so for me to throw it, like go out of my way to throw it and do it real nice in the trash can, is just fucking hilarious. And so like they would buy me peacock eggs, take me to fancy dinners, you know. No, I, I give me the royal treatment. I loved it so much, but then the government made me leave, and um, it was kind of disappointing. But then, uh, right as soon as I came back, that's when I decided, well, I'm good. If I can't do stand-up comedy, uh, stand-up tragedy, stand-up com, if I can't do stand-up comedy in China, I'm gonna do start a stand-up tragedy in the United States and just make people cry. <laughs> and then so that's that's where, that's where I started. So, <clears throat> yeah, because you mentioned to me that you, you that you do stand-up. <clears throat> excuse me tragedy mm. and that's you decided to do that in china and then would you go to you come back no to right, right when i came back to tennessee and i saw like i'm stuck in the na nasty <laughs> i came from the beautiful world where they wouldn't let me blossom into the superstore and now i'm back in the, in, in the, the, the tennessee what town in tennessee are you in uh, johnson city how many and, population is that oh, i can't remember maybe 60 70 thousand I'd say maybe something like that. It's a college town. And, and the town, like, there's a lot of good stuff about the town, but the building specifically where I was living in, it was real nasty. And so I felt like, well, hell with it. I'm just going to do stand-up tragedy and make people cry or feel like they're going to die. So when did you start... When did you start doing that? Did you, did you like, go out to open mics or comedy clubs or, like, no, music? I started at a coffee shop. And uh, they had a sign on the wall that said "Free Speech Zone," and so <laughs> and, and they advertised that we have free speech. And once a year, it's in the local paper, John City Press. Said, "Hey, if you want to speak freely about something, come to this place." And so I started doing it there. But I didn't write my own stuff at first. I started reading other people's stuff, and just building up my confidence. And I tried out like different characters. Like one of them, I might read like William S. Burroughs. Another one, I might read like Stephen J. Jesse Bernstein or something like that until finally I wrote something myself and then I just went off on the people. <laughs> and then, uh, like some people cried, and then um, what happened was after I started really doing well and developing it, uh, the, uh, what happened was I did a, a poem called Small Town Dark Secret. And um, did you write it or is that it? I wrote? Well, OK, to, OK, to the beginning of the, tra the, the story with the coffee shop, they uh, they banned me from there. They don't really have free speech. And I realized that if someone advertises America, there's free speech everywhere. If they have a sign that says free speech, it probably means that they don't <laughs> <laughs> because they they really don't. And uh, but I did a I did a poem one week called $38, and it was like a song, and I sang it like a boy band, and it's a true story about this overweight girl that I saw when I was a teenager at a Dunkin' Donuts, that she had $38 left to her name, and she was so overweight, and she said the doctors wouldn't wire her jaw shut unless it was broke, and she didn't want to eat anymore. And she said that they wanted the doctors wanted too much money for stomach surgery, and she didn't have it. So she wrote down on the back of a takeout menu like I blank blank, uh, will, or I in her name will pay blank blank thirty eight dollars to break my jaw. It's all I have. I can't go on like this. And she signed it and dated it, and then told anybody like, hey. 
okay, anybody want $38, you can break my jaw. And so then um, she went around back behind the Dunkin' Donuts, and it was at the same time that all of the bars started letting out. And so, like, all everybody started yelling, like, hit the fat girl for $38. Uh, uh, I want that $38 and all this stuff. And so, like, this big crowd starts gathering around. And then... Uh, this one guy named Psycho. In real life, he was a punk rocker, but in the in the song that I sang, he was a biker. I thought it was cooler to be a biker than a punk rocker, like you know, tougher. Yeah. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, he took her aside and he promised her he'd break her jaw with one punch. He wanted thirty-eight dollars, and he hit her three times. Jesus. And it didn't even break one time. Like it did. It, it, I mean, it knocked her down to the ground, and that was it. And then he walked away, and then everybody else was in the line just taking turns. And then uh, she put her head up against the cinder block wall, and people were saying like, "You have to hit it like this certain way." And then, and then I was like, "I can't watch this anymore." I watched like probably seven or eight people punch her in the jaw, and it still wouldn't break. And then as I was walking away, and no guy, one tried to stop this, <laughs> like no one's like, "You're punching a woman." No, like she wanted, she wanted it broken. Like she had like wrote this little. I don't know really how legally binding it would have been in court, but she really, she was serious about it because she did didn't want to eat anymore and she, she was trying see she was trying to spend her original idea was to spend that $38 less money she had for the rest of the month all on Dunkin Donuts but the um, chocolate started like a blistering her mouth and all this stuff and like she couldn't eat she realized she couldn't eat $38 worth of stuff at Dunkin Donuts and make herself disgusted with food and then not be able to eat for the rest of the month so she was just like fuck it uh, I'll pay someone 38 bucks to break my jaw. Well, then, um, as I was walking away, that guy, Psycho, came back with from his car with a baseball bat. And I was like, okay, and I left. And I never saw her again. Don't know what happened to her. Didn't never meet anyone that was there that night. Never knew what happened to her. And so I told the people this, but it was like a boy band song. I sang it like... <laughs> <laughs> like a boys to men song i had like back in the tracks and stuff and uh people like there were people that were crying like some overweight girls were crying and stuff but and, and people got mad at me for making the big girls cry but the girls that were crying told me like People need to hear that. They're like, I know exactly how that person feels. Don't ever stop telling people that. That's like how it really is. And then there was like this one girl that was there that said, I'm a legal assistant. And this guy was uh, went to my boss, the lawyer, and was trying to get workman's comp because the ladder broke his jaw. But uh, he confided in me that he had his friend break his jaw so they'd wire it shut so he'd lose weight. But And he, since he told me that, I had to tell my boss, and so he didn't ever get the workman's comp. <laughs> And stuff. And was that at the McDonald's? No, I don't know where where that was. But um, so, anyways, like the people were still mad at me for saying these terrible, tragic things, making people cry. Well, the girls that were crying said they weren't really crying because of me. There was a group of skinny Asian girls sitting up front that were laughing the whole time I was doing this, and it was an un probably an uncomfortable laugh. They're like, "Oh my gosh, I can't, I can't believe this guy's saying these things," you know. <laughs> but then they kept looking at the girls, and so the girls were crying because it was like some other problem. But then a lot of people told me, "No, why would someone do that?" Why would someone get their jaw broken or pay someone to break their jaw? Why would just to stop eating? Why? That's not real. And so then the next week I wrote Small Town Dark Secret, which is another true story about a girl that lived across the cul-de-sac from me in Virginia who sucked dicks to be accepted. And she was like a big girl too, like 400 pounds and people people go there to lose her virginity and stuff like that and then uh, uh, like she would get the guys and then they would do it in my parents driveway in case her parents came home early while she was doing given the given the head for to be accepted but my parents thought well it's just wild teenagers having fun and so they like flash the porch light off and on but it was really putting the strobe light on them you know and so like I did this whole big long thing about what it's like to be overweight and sucking dicks to be accepted and stuff and uh, 
the same time that I'm saying all this, there was some kind of microbrew beer distributors in there, and they had just gotten all these free samples. And they told the owner, they said, I thought this was supposed to be a cool place. And this saying this stuff, and so they just left. And then the owner told me, uh, I quote, I believe in free speech and everything until it cost me a big chunk of money. And then I was never welcome back again. And then I thought, I'm on to something here. <laughs> yeah. I need to take this on the road. <laughs> and just do it real good and give people feelings because I, I I've come since come to find out a lot more p- people have more feelings than I do about things because a lot of times I didn't have feelings uh, but what, what wouldn't you have feelings about it's or you'd find yourself just kind of co- like numb or more observing? Yeah, because I've had a lot of traumatic experiences. And so like a, like a lot of the 10 years of the self-portraits and stuff was just dealing with uh, some traumatic events and different things. But Was I it uh, like childhood trauma or just ver- a variety variety pack yeah, of trauma? <laughs> tr- childhood up until about age 21, I'd say just I'd be witness to just terrible, crazy things. Like in the, like in the neighborhood or in the home? Oh, uh, not too much probably in the home, but like, uh, I'd say... I'd say seen it, yeah, somebody asking to be punched in the jaw. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, stuff like that, just crazy, terrible things, and, uh, but, so I kind of felt numb, I kind of felt, I always questioned, am I a sociopath or something, and so a lot of times when I would talk to people about doing self-portraits, I'd say, I'm trying to grow feelings here, okay, just leave me alone, I just, I'm using art to try to, like, become a feeling human being and stuff like that when did you start like when when you started how young were you when you started doing art or old depending i was probably 25 24 and it was that and that was that was sort of a means to explore those emotions and you never did it as a kid, like doodled or whatever? Well, when I was real little, I did. Uh, but and my mother sent me to uh, like a school when I was two and a half. Be- once you're a potty trained, there's like a Montessori school, and they maybe taught me some art. And I tried to make a comic book when I was 10 or something. But by then, I was already getting in trouble with the law. And I was already just becoming a, a bully and a criminal. And so uh, I just kind of got away from art. But then when I went to college... I went to ETSU because it was one of the only colleges, I think, in the United States that would take someone without a high school diploma. (laughs) So I didn't have to take an SAT or ACT. I went to one of those colleges, too. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's the easy way out. (laughs) Wow, that's cool. Or in. Where was yours? Columbia College in Chicago. It was uh, was a city college. Oh, nice. And uh, but the the problem with because it, it was theater school, but then the, or I went for theater, but that they would let anybody in. Uh-huh. So then you're just dealing with a bunch of lunatics who think they should be famous, and they're uh, not really there for. The, for the I, I lasted about. Uh, uh. I didn't even last a full semester. Oh, really? Yeah, I got a little sidetracked by some <laughs> drugs. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's yeah, that's, that's interesting. Really hard uh, to get to school when you're sleeping on your friend's floor and doing coke. <laughs> <laughs> wow. There needs to be more schools like that. Uh, yeah, I don't even know if they do that anymore. They might have gotten a little more strict. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that's how it would be unfortunate if, if they did because uh, my life changed going to college. I uh, I would have been still been a manager at a pizza place or something, you know, right. some crazy crappy job, you know. And when you were doing, like, you started doing the portraits and, like, you were like, this is it. This is all I'm doing. Uh-huh. Like, I mean, that must have been, was your your family adverse to this? Or your people were, people must have been like, what the, like, because it's outside of the norm of what our society, I mean, I'm uh-huh. with you 100%, uh-huh. but, like, everyone's like, well, you should get a fucking job and get a degree and blah, blah, uh-huh. blah. And it's like, so what you were doing was very outside the norm and it must have been, at times, uh, a struggle. Mentally, financially, among other things, correct? Yeah. Uh, Maybe, may but it didn't bother me one bit because I had my life purpose. And so nothing really bothered me. And when I lived in that office, like they had no shower or nothing, and I had like, I'd have to bathe on the roof of the building 
downtown and I had like this whole system with like seven different Tupperware bowls that I could have water in so they wouldn't get contaminated. Each one wouldn't, the next one wouldn't get contaminated with dirty water and I'd just get naked up on a roof and take a shower up there <laughs> and stuff. But it did, it did not bother me. And the, land, the landlord, you're not, since it was an office, they every, he cut the heat off at six every day after everybody was supposed to get off work and stuff. And so, but it was like $75 a month to rent the office you know so it's like how you can't beat that no i i would uh i'd, I'd bathe out of tupperware for that much money a month <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I that's really a real bargain it. yeah i loved it so so it was pretty good like, but like people like my friends that would see him every day or would, if i saw him once a month and they would like look through my books or something like that they they would tell me like you need to show these you need to let people see him were you uh, against like that, that at first yeah, I didn't really care. I, I felt like this is just for me. It's just a personal thing, and I, I didn't really care one way or another. Uh, but I didn't want to take them out of the books because I felt like they're all one work of art. And if you take one picture out of the book and put it on the wall, then it's like taking one piece. It's like taking like the like the eye or something off the Mona Lisa or something. You know what I mean? It's like the, that's the way it was in my mind then, but. Now I've uh, uh, times have gotten harder, <laughs> and and I have sold some. But what I do is, uh, if, when people commission me to do a self portrait for them, I'll only do it if I do two, at least two that day, and I make like a real good copy and I keep record of it and I put it back in the book and say who has it and stuff like that. Like I'll label it like who got right. it and stuff like that. So the first one you sold was that was that kind of painful? Was it like? A struggle or like oh i'm selling my art out or it might yeah i think it was because in the binding where it was cut out i like painted it really look red and so it looks like a giant wound in, my, in the binding <laughs> <laughs> like you know something's missing like it just got amputated <coughs> in there but i don't think about it too much anymore every like about once a month or something somebody will commission one but i don't advertise it because i don't i don't just want everybody in the world i want to keep doing them for myself and i don't want to be just like doing them for all kinds of other people right when you when you sit down to do one like do you go with a blank mind or are you like where or do you have a space you come from like emotionally mentally it depends from day to day Uh, sometimes it can be an action like if i'm on a swing set and i think oh this is fun and i do self-portrait on a swing set or something or like if i have like a real bad headache or something i'll be like oh i i do a self-portrait of this how this headache looks like it feels or something or you know uh sometimes i'll draw like my hopes like if i want to if i want to do like go skydiving one day i'll like do myself skydiving anything you've gone skydiving i never have (laughs) but if i do i'm gonna duct tape my book to my chest and i'm gonna do it while i'm falling through the air like that's part of it capturing the moment don't forget to uh, pull the cord there (laughs) it'll have to be tandem there'll be someone i'll be on someone's back probably (laughs) <laughs> Maybe do it with a spray can. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's pretty... And how many of these have you done? I think I'm in the uh, 8,630s. Something. Wow. Numbers are really not too much. I think much. I've maybe masturbated that many times. That's the only thing I have done in my... <laughs> <laughs> Why did I have to make it cheap, Brian? That's all right. <laughs> the cheapness goes in the books, too. Like, everything is... There's nothing untouchable in the b- books, so... Has there, yeah, has there ever been a moment where you discovered something about yourself that you were like, whoa, I didn't, like... I didn't know that about me, or you went it, you went into a dark area, or even a pot light area, and that in your psyche, so to speak. I would say the ones that's the things that surprise me the most are kind of like a, seeing like some self prophecy or something, like self fulfilling prophecies of doom or self fulfilling prophecies of goodness or something like a, like a, say one time. I drew myself in a certain way with like some neon oranges and it was real crazy and I made my mouth and teeth look a certain way and stuff and then I went out right after doing that, got really drunk, got attacked by a wild deer. It was a fight to the death because it was mating season. It almost killed me and uh, then 
the next time I drew a sort of similar picture, I was seeing the neon, and I had the mouth and the kind of crazy looking teeth and stuff, and I thought, whoa, maybe I shouldn't go out tonight. You know what I mean? Because, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, like, I can see kind of like these weird emotional um, precursors. I wouldn't say it's all that magical, like in a supernatural sense, but there is something intuitive in putting down your subconscious feelings and being and, and then rec afterwards recognizing them and then later on seeing a pattern or something like that it's pretty bizarre so i know if i oh i did it this way because most of the time i do it without even thinking it's kind of like an improv or something and right. a lot of times it's just stress improv uh, stress release improv or anxiety or getting rid of some kind of bad feeling and so then I can say, oh, this one, I shouldn't do this, or I should watch out for that, or something like that. It's just real strange self-knowledge, because I don't really look like that. It's just like how I right. do it. And out of like 8,000 and whatever number mm -hmm. there is there, <laughs> but it's like, are there any that like stick out that are just like really vivid that you always remember, or can you kind of remember them I all? I used to or? remember them all, until I got to about 6,000. I could remember them all, and then if, if I couldn't, it got to where maybe around maybe around five thousand I could remember them all. But after about six thousand or so, it got to where I could remember which book they were in, and where in the book they were in. But now at eight thousand and I'm getting older, I, th I think uh, it takes like three or four books to try to find a particular one. Right. Because I, I, sometimes I just, like, I'll remember one, and I'll say, oh, I want to see that one again. Because if, if I did something, I'll say, oh, I want to see how, if, if I did this other one, if it's how, how similar it is in my brain in, as opposed to in real life side by side. And so then it'll take me, like, three or four books to find it, to find the right one. Have people, like, like uh, asked, like, to exhibit them or anything? I mean, that would no, be kind of intense. To, I guess you would have to flip through them, too, which you don't want people pawing at your books. Yeah, that would never happen. And, uh, no, uh, I, I have one time I had an exhibit in Asheville, North Carolina, not self-portraits. I went across Europe visiting uh, art museums and every art gallery and museum and church all over Western Europe, like for art, just to learn about art history and stuff. And uh, I kept a journal but i also started seeing like a homeless people with like cardboard signs and they would say like in french i have shame but i have hunger and so i would like go up to that person and i'd say okay you have shame but you have hunger if you want some food i'll get you some food but in return i'd like to have that sign and so i went and did this in all these different countries and so i had all these homeless people signs in all these different languages and i exhibited them all in Asheville, north carolina and then they all got stolen and so oh, then man. that was the only time I've ever had a real exhibit. And then uh, I was in a one exhibit and I had a sculpture and uh, I entered it. I thought, okay, it had been like probably 10 years since they'd all got stolen. And I said, okay, I'll do this. I'll put in a little sculpture. Well, the curator made my sculpture interactive, whatever that means. And then uh, kids like scratched off the name and the paint and stuff and I had like a found white cat whisker that was supposed to be like the antenna and it was like glued to the sculpture and then uh, somebody probably like a Wiccan witch white witch or something of Tennessee like stole the cat whisker and all this stuff and so now it will take a lot for somebody to, for me to trust some institution with my stuff like, it, it would take a lot. But I am putting the drug pictures because I'm so sick of the drug pictures. Yeah, you uh, mentioned it because, <laughs> and I don't want to go, I don't want to like belabor you with that. But I'm going to cut them out of the books and show them in France just because, and I'm hoping that the Russian mob steals them. I'm hoping <laughs> that, that that would be the best way to put that behind me and it would make the myth grow bigger and then I would not ever have to really deal with the drug self-portraits ever again and except I could say yeah the Russian mobs got them in that wild. Was that because that gained you <laughs> somewhat notoriety or misunderstanding because and just and I because we talk because you said mm -hmm. you're sick of talking about it so I won't mm -hmm. but like you did a, a variety of drugs for what like a week every day I did well, I started off I was going to do a different drug every day but then the drawings were so interesting uh, that 
after the drug, the effect would wear off, I, I started doing another drug, and so it got to where I was doing like three dr different drugs at a time, like ones you weren't even supposed to do. It got really out of control, and then I started making my. By the time I got to cough syrup. My friend said, you're making yourself look like you have Down syndrome. You're like really messing your brain up. You, you got Down syndrome, you're like messing it up. So I ended up quitting, I think, either after PCP or, or, or maybe after the cough syrup. Right around those two were at the end. But every now and then, if something new comes up, I will do one. And I feel like, well, people, like I had them on MySpace and it was a little popular. And then I put them on Facebook and I had them on my website and stuff, but I think every year a whole bunch of kids discover drugs for the first time, and that's why the virus won't die. Like, and so I've thought. You know what the great it. thing about that is, is I'm usually the guy who gives them the drugs for the first time. <laughs> nice. So thanks to you, I'm able to pay my rent. You cause a curiosity for teens everywhere. All right, that's great. I guess I owe you a percentage. <laughs> But, yeah, I mean... And Do you have any strange drugs I've never tried? <laughs> uh, no. I have a wee, extreme wee amount of mushrooms in my uh, freezer. I've See, I've done that. I don't like to do drugs more than once. A lot, a lot of people send me emails and think I'm like the biggest druggie in the world. Like, yeah, you get lord, like the drug heads of all kinds sort of be like, this guy's our man. Yeah, like people think I'm like a, they say like, oh, you're like the Hunter S. Thompson of painting or something like that. It's like, no, I'm not. Like, I just do one drug one time and then that's it. Like, it's such a small, like I have, I think, 49 pictures on drugs and i probably have maybe 50 more on weed that i just redundant to show them all you know and so um out of 8600 pictures only 49 of them is on drugs like it's a small percentage. yeah out of your body of work. Mm -hmm. and but prior to that did you ever were you ever much of an experimenter or with i mean just the usual curious because we've all fucked around most oh, of us yeah. fuck around with drugs a little bit and then uh -huh. either you're one of those lucky ones who gets uh, massively addicted and dies or you yeah. just go, okay, I did that, and move on. Yeah, I'd say I got carried away with cocaine after I got out of prison. I had, I met a what, real good connection. What were you in prison for? <laughs> that, well, I, I, Is that an okay question to ask? Yeah, uh, the grand jury and doesn't mean anything. <laughs> but they indicted me on two counts of armed robbery and assault with intent to commit robbery while armed, uh -huh. which was like 45 to 100 and some years. But uh, I, I didn't fi get found guilty of that because I was white. There, there's a lot of racism in sentencing in D.C. And like black people would have the same exact charges as me and get like 15 years, 45 years. But and my, I had a public defender and I almost elbowed him in the ribs like because he told the judge and the judge was black he said uh, your honor as you can see my client's white Ooh. he's in a predominantly black uh, prison Lorton and uh, you can understand what all that entails and I like thought what are you trying to fuck my whole entire life up like I like it took everything I had just not to l lay him out with the elbow and then the judge was like okay uh, time served you know wow yeah and then I was only in there for eight months I think they sentenced me to two years, but in D.C. you only had to do one-third of your sentence. And so I'd been in there for eight months already, and so they just let me go from court right, right then. And it was just because I was white. I mean, it even says so in the court transcripts. It's crazy. Yeah, it's, uh, it's no uh, mind-blower that our uh, judicial and police system mm -hmm. has got a little bit of racism in it. Yeah. It's just, uh, there's like a c cop beating up somebody in Anaheim over almost every two seconds these days. Yeah. It's really... Uh, quite tragic and painful. Yeah, especially for the guys being beaten. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, it's out of control. It seems I I don't know if it's just because there's cameras everywhere, or if it's getting worse than ever. But it seems like cops are really getting out of control lately. Yeah, I, I think they're the the more. I, I think the, I think there's something going on there. I think they're getting like all. I think somehow they're getting positive reinforcement of their behavior and so it just encourages them to act out more uh, it becomes terribly a, yeah I think somehow they're getting positively reinforced like maybe the news might shame them or some people might protest and shame them but I think there's some kind of positive re reinforcement rewards or something going on that's making them think like I want to do this more. I think that the more they get press from it, the more they are hostile towards civilians mm -hmm. in a weird way or the people they perceive as, you know, 
these fucking Mexicans. Mm-hmm. Like, because they were beating up a lot of Mexicans in Anaheim. <laughs> it's uh, mm-hmm. awful. They're not doing that too much in Tennessee, but a, a couple of years ago, I did get a hold of this cassette tape. This woman recorded, her, a wife recorded, uh, the police were basically going to rob this guy of all of his Oxycontin pills. And uh, the police made his wife and child leave uh, so they could like rough him up and rob him Whoa. and uh, his wife pressed record on their old tape recorder when she left and uh, so then um, I got a hold of this tape and I ended up doing this big huge performance called sign it about it but they like shocked his balls they uh, shot him in his wooden leg they threatened to shoot him in the head and plant a BB gun on him they put cigarettes out on his tongue it's all on cassette tape Ooh. and um, I mean it's like brutal in the tr- in a trailer in sticks in Tennessee like you would never think and it's like so I, I, my original idea was to have good cop in one ear and bad cop in the other ear but it was like two detectives and three cops and all of them were bad like there was it's not like movies they're all they were all bad cops and like this one cop he says uh, he, he, he said uh, he said Eugene that was the victim's name he said you see those two batteries over there I'm fixing to go out here and get some fucking wires and hook them up to your fucking balls don't sign that paper and watch what happens to you because they're trying to get him to sign a consent form to search his house and then uh, this other guy just goes, stand him up and I'll take his pants down. Like that. I mean, it's fucking insane, dude. And every time they torture him, he doesn't sign the consent form. They escalate the torture on him. And he every time they escalate the torture on him and he doesn't sign it, he expresses more willingness to cooperate and turn more people in. But every time they torture him, they're like, I don't want them motherfuckers. I want you, and I got you, and you're going to sign the fucking thing, and we're going to shoot you in the head and plant this BB gun on you. Like that. And so by the end of it, they put cigarette butts out on his tongue, and he's just like, like that. Like, it's, it's insane. Well, I did a whole, like, uh, performance or reenactment of it. I was... I was the cops and the victim, and what I did was I took a picture of him off of the TV and did an iron on his face and put it on a pillowcase, and so when I was the victim shocking myself into balls, I was looking like him, but then when I was the cops, like, preparing to shock myself or do something to torture myself, uh, I had two holes cut out in the back of the pillowcase, and I'd turn it around and point it up so I looked like the Klan, and so it was, like, real intense, but I didn't want to go on the road with that one because I felt like if I kept doing that in different places, it would be kind of like exploiting it or something, and I did it once. I did it one time, and I let people know about it, and then after that, I just thought, I'm not going to... I'm not going to exploit it or anything, but I wanted people to know that that this this evil cop stuff goes on in Tennessee. When you go, like, do do these performances on the road, where, like, is there, like, a performance art circuit? I know there used to be, like, a place in Chicago that people, uh, Lower Links many years ago, that people would play. Is there, like, a, I don't know anything about that world? Well, mostly I do um, noise music venues, a lot of house shows in the States. In Europe, it's different. You can do festivals, this type of thing, and art, fe- like music festivals, uh, institutions, like uh, Palais de Tokyo Contemporary Art Museum in Paris. And you go and do these places kind of often? That's pretty... Well, not often. I'm lucky if I do it twice a year, but if I could do it four four times a year, if I could go to Europe four times a year, I'd be set. I'd be, have, I'd be fine. I could do myself portraits all day, work on projects all day. Have you thought about ever moving over there? No, because I just don't know. It'd be too much going on. And in Tennessee, I just have like a few friends that know I'm constantly working on projects. And so I just never get out. And if I do, I just I go out one night or something and see my friends. And then that's it. I'm just constantly working every day in my fucked up apartment, like government housing building. And are you pretty, is it, <coughs> excuse me. <laughs> Is the art, do you sustain yourself from the art or do you still have to do other? I mean, we all, most of everybody I know creatively has to schlep somehow. Yeah, I kind of do other stuff, artistic stuff to get by. I try to do like a, just little art, uh, you know, like um, I finally did a, something that wasn't a self-portrait 
couple of weeks ago, I did uh, some art for this band, Skull Soup, in Tennessee. It's, they've been a punk, well, it's more than a punk rock band, like a real good, crazy rock band. They've been around forever, and I did something for them for a little money. And uh, sometimes people will ask me to do paintings and stuff like that, but I eat at a lot of soup kitchens. And so I don't have to worry about food. I eat at a lot of churches. In Johnson City, there's like five or six different places to eat free food and so I, I, I live real damn cheap. I live in squalor and uh, it makes it so I don't have a lot of company because it's such a terrible environment but at the same time it gives me the kind of space and time I need to get stuff done so I can get out and go to Europe once a year or something like that. Right. It, it's kind of crazy how mo almost every country outside of the U.S. subsidizes artists, gives yeah. them grants. Uh -huh. Ireland, I don't even think artists have to pay taxes. Mm -hmm. And here, artists, writers, and all that are made to feel like these third-class, you know, it's like you're an awful... Like, oh, way to fuck up and want to be creative. It's like, yeah. we're, you, we're made to feel like assholes. And it's like, yeah. and every, and for historically, yeah. for thousands of years, people, yeah. kings have always been, uh, musicians and artists, they've commissioned them. And it's like, yeah. it's fucking insulting. I have one real <clears throat> true patron, Brant Withers in Redondo Beach. And if I ever was to come up with a great idea for an art project, he backs me up. He's like the producer of most of my real cool projects. And so it's real fortunate to have him, uh, someone, uh, be in tune enough to understand what I'm doing and supportive enough to know, uh, hey, if I give him some money, it's going to really make some cool stuff, you know. That's pretty But it's great. not like, I mean, it's not like, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the, the old days, where you're like a painter for the palace or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of the old jazz dudes, like Charlie Parker and stuff, had like, uh, usually they were fucking the women too, but. Yeah. See if we can get you one of those. Patrons. A woman you fucked that gives you money? <laughs> I'm going to get on that for you, Brian. <laughs> all right. My girlfriend would not be too happy about Hey, it's that. for art. That's all you have to tell her. <laughs> for my still. art, baby. <laughs> She would kill me just for snickering at that. <laughs> <laughs> now, you're also, you're in L.A. because you're here to do a movie. Yeah, first time ever acting in my life. Even really? Though I was never even a tree in preschool. I was, this is it. But you've been performing. I mean, it's not like you're a stranger. Yeah. Hopefully that'll help. <laughs> I'm scared shitless. Are you? Yeah, it's, it's different. You know, it's the great thing about, like, camera work is... Uh, you know, you get a lot of tries. You'll get more. You like, <clears throat> you're. I always am like, anytime I've done it or talked to my friends, they're always like, "Oh man, I don't know." And then it will be great. Uh -huh. And it's like sometimes they, you know, they do different angles, so it's like it's, it's, it's gonna be fine. <laughs> cool. It's uh -huh. a lot easier and different than you're gonna actually think. Cool. Uh -huh. And there'll be a lot of food around. That's the <laughs> other good thing. I get a food allowance every day. So that's going to be cool. But it's mostly on the road we're going to be doing. I guess it's called location shooting, and we're going all over the crazy United States, different places, so it should be pretty fun. <coughs> what is your character? Can you talk about the piece at all? Or I don't know. Is it taboo to talk about a movie before you make one? I don't know anything about this movie I, culture. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Unless the director wouldn't want you to talk about it. That might be a possibility, and I wouldn't want to get you trouble. Well, i just say I, I play a guy that has a lot of crazy stories that... That talks to himself and drives around the country. Are you the star? Doing crazy, yeah. Oh, it's are you the main dude? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so, hey, that's I've been in this shit for 20 years and no one's given me a starring role. <laughs> Try stand-up tragedy. I think it. Helps. Have you seen my act? It's pretty. Uh, it's <laughs> right in line. It's not that tragic. I think you're pretty funny. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, we can hear uh, maybe we can hear that beeping bus that's the great thing uh, which i love about doing podcasts is like the environment it's inevitable it becomes a part of it sometimes <clears throat> and you said you do a lot of you do, do you do music as well or no uh, i do thought vocals I, for like other people's music uh yeah uh, other people do vocals and um I started off just doing the stand-up tragedy type storytelling stuff, tra t terrible tragic stories, and then uh, finding musicians, uh, great musicians that I thought would be uh, add to the emotional part of the tragedy. And then um, 
I started, I think, in about 2003 or 2004. I could never remember my dreams, but I would often wake up and have like seizures, and I've had like real crazy sleep experiences, but I would never remember my dreams. So I started sleeping with a handheld tape recorder, and I would just wake up after this and just say whatever bits of information I could remember. And then it got to be like a Pavlovian dog, like an obsessive compulsive thing of pushing the record button. And so it got to where I was just like constantly pushing the record button in my sleep and sleep talking. And then I'd wake up in the morning and say the parts of the dream. And then when I looked at it all together, I was like, wow, like, when you transcribe it, it's like the most closest you can get to actually recording a dream. I That's mean, because intense. it has my my conversations in a dream are only one sided. You don't hear who I'm talking to or what they're saying. So there's still like something missing. But then you get like the background, you get like the, the plot or whatever of the story, and then you get like the, the actions and me in the story while I'm having these fits and sleep talking and stuff. Well, I called it the stream of unconsciousness narrative mode. It sounds kind of douchey, but I did that because people always talk about the stream of consciousness and your brain is always running and it doesn't ever stop and like a lot of authors are real big into this um, stream of consciousness type of free form uh, brainstorming and writing and uh, this is like unconscious because when I wake up I don't remember saying any of it I have no clue that any of this just happened like dolphins and whales got together broke dams flooded the cities wedged people under the cars like I had no clue I might wake up and remember oh there was something about dolphins but when I play back the tape, it's like 50 minute monologue of like this crazy shit. Dolphins waiting in line for bacon, egg, and cheeseburgers at McDonald's, <laughs> wedging, wedging the mammal tra the trainers under the cars and different stuff. So, I've, so what I've been doing is I've got a 24 album book on tape. It's 12 cassette tapes, an album on each side. So it's like 24 chapters. It's like 11.5. 11.5 hours long when it's finished I've got over half of it released now because cassette tapes are so cheap to make but also because the original source recording is on a old TDK cassette tape Sony handheld recorder and so I've gotten all these different types of musicians to do like one type of musician do one album and next another one so when it's done it's going to be like this big huge like uh, I don't know magnum opus is the right word but something like that and then uh, and then I'm probably going to move on to something else after that. Because I don't want to keep doing the same thing because I'm real into experimentation. And uh, I don't ever want to get stuck just being this the guy that did the self-portrait every day. This is the guy that did the stream of unconscious every day. Or this is the guy that did a stand-up tragedy all the time. And so... Um, I think you got a pretty diverse body of work. Yeah, I tell people I'm a six-trick pony, but the world only likes one of my tricks. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Oh, good, that beeping's back. <laughs> uh, what is that? That's an, I, I, was, I, I commend no you for idea. getting through that story because I was ready to throw things through a window. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Well, we'll, we'll I think it's the handicap. Ooh, I, I don't think you... the ambience. The ambience, yeah. It's part of the art. Beep, 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 beep. Beep, 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 beep. That's all the secret... F-bombs we've been dropping. <laughs> <laughs> uh, has, has anybody ever, like, come out of the, like, approached you about your work that you were, like, you know, like, that you were just, like, really shocked, knew about you, and... Because nobody's ever done that with me. Uh, some people will say, like, oh, I remember I saw you do this thing or that thing or something like that, and... I'm real bad with names, so that's really... I don't know if that's what you're meaning. <laughs> that's, well, it'll be good enough. Oh, but uh, back to the movie thing. Did you? Did this guy just ask you to... Who's the director? It's a Lawrence Klein. Uh, he's well known for doing all of the uh, Captain Ahab videos. Uh -huh. They're like real over the top. He lives here in L.A. Captain Ahab's in L.A. And uh, he... Um, is a incredible editor. He's like a genius editor. That's his real job. Is uh, like his full time job is editing uh, for some studio, big studio or something. And then uh, he wants to get away from being known as like the over the top, uh, uh, fun, silly type of uh, music videos and tried to make a, a, a serious short film. And so I went on tour with Captain Ahab. 
and then um, so they know how I am and I'm in the car driving around from city to city and saying all kinds of outrageous crazy stories and stuff and so I think I think they might have been the ones that suggested to him that he he picked me and stuff and then um, I had to talk to him over the computer and stuff because I never I told him I said the only thing close to acting I've ever done was one time WJHL News Channel 11 asked me to pretend like I was walking into my apartment building and so I, I pretended like I was walking into my apartment building and if you look at the news it looks just like I walked into my apartment building, but I didn't really. And I mean, it really looks like it. I think I did a great job. Like you're a natural. <laughs> you're a natural. <laughs> I, I, but I didn't have to say anything. So that's the part I'm worried about. I'm worried about the action. I, I know this is a you'll be you'll be fine. And if he's, a, I'm sure he's a great director. So I'm mean, like, his job is to make you feel comfortable, and you you're kind of a natural. Uh, just from this, I think you you're a natural sort of storyteller and whatnot so i think you have sure, my f- confidence thanks buddy <laughs> <laughs> i need it <laughs> uh believe me it's not it like it, it'll feel weird at first and then you just i think uh, just give in and just enjoy that mm-hmm. I, I think you're probably okay. pretty good at giving into the experiences there or just you know go back to doing that meth stuff you were doing <laughs> <laughs> really upset the director yeah. with that choice <laughs> yeah. but oh uh have you ever like has anybody ever approached to you about like uh merchandising your art or does that just make you want to vomit all well, over the like place i get emails from kids wanting to buy posters of me on shroom it's always the one on shrooms everyone wants a poster of the one on shrooms and i just don't want to deal with it i don't want to have to pay five thousand some forget i don't want to have to get five thousand posters because that's the deal and then get stuck with four thousand nine hundred fifty <laughs> posters of me on mushrooms or something right you know? i just thought like <laughs> t-shirts but yeah that's uh, oh, that coffee couple, mugs a couple of times uh friends of mine have made uh one friend of mine stacy williams have made uh real nice t-shirt for me as a birthday present it was only it's a limited edition 15 so only like a few people got them but i often think of getting a t-shirt made but i don't know exactly i wouldn't know what to put pick on it i I wouldn't know which self-portrait to put on it i wouldn't want to do the mushrooms one because it would have so many different colors in it and stuff and sometimes i think of like little clever things to say but then when i think it wake up the next morning i'm like that'd make a dumb (laughs) 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 t-shirt so i don't know is there a, a website or any of that stuff to uh to find your work, I think you do have a website. BrianLewisSaunders.org. Dot org. Okay, uh-huh. and we'll put that up on our. Uh... Okay. Uh huh. I would like to give a shout out to the last album I was on. I'm only on it for a little bit on track. Th- I'm on track three, but um, do, do you know? Um, let's see. Um, it's called Empire Should Burn. Dot dot dot. Empire Should Burn, and it's by ASVA and Philip Petit, and. Uh, Asva, A-S-V-A, uh, he um, is Stuart Dahlquist, and he was in these incredible bands I just now found out about. Uh, Goat Snake, uh, Beast Witch, Burning Witch, Burning Witch, Goat Snake, and then he played in like an original lineup of this other band, Sun O. Um, I'm not familiar with this type of music, but um, it's really incredible. But anyways, he's, it's him and this guy, Philip Petit, from France and uh, they got three guest vocalists to appear uh, Jarbo from the Swans Edward Cospell from the legendary Pink Dots and me and it's like the most beautiful incredible record I've ever been on in my life it's on the uh, vinyl and CD and Edward Cospell did like an 18 minute long um, uh, monologue uh, about Kim Jong-il on his deathbed and this was like a year before he even died Wow! and it's just like the most incredible spoken word thing and it goes with the music so perfectly and it's like like he, he says uh, how many days and nights have passed now there are no clocks in his room because he like knows he's dying and he's like watching Hollywood movies and he knows all the dead actors lines for line and like that he doesn't need a bell like they know right when to come in and scratch his back and wash his tiny little feet and all this stuff it's like 18 minutes of like 
being Kim Jong-il dying on your deathbed. It's insane. And then uh, uh, Jarbo does a real good track, and then mine is a, a little one, too. And uh, it, it's real beautiful. It's been getting really great reviews, but everybody says, like, oh, it's a haunt haunting, or this is a nightmare, or something like that. But to me, it's, like, beautiful. Like, uh, it's the most beautiful uh, music uh, album I've ever been on. So, I just wanted to mention that. Sorry, I got carried away. <laughs> no, no, I was uh, I was quite en uh, enwrapped in what that I I'm gonna investigate that when I get home. It's a good one for sure. I'm really proud of it, even though I'm just a little, uh, just on there, just a tiny bit. It's like something. Uh, it's real nice. Is, is there? But this is actually a question for after. So I'll just uh, <laughs> uh, thank you very much for your time. I, this has been one of my favorite interviews. You're oh. running. Incredible, and you're great. Thanks, I appreciate that. And a nice guy. <laughs> you are too, Matt. I appreciate that. It's really great to meet you. Like, I, yeah, I, you too. I, we emailed back and forth so much, and I yeah. was like really excited yeah, just to meet you. Yeah, I've been forward to this big time. Oh, that's uh, flattering on my end. Thank mm -hmm. you. And great luck, and we'll, we'll keep in touch. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. Uh, I forgot to say at the top of the show the music that plays always, and it's playing right now, <clears throat> is Les Blanks. Go to lesblanks.com, check them out. If you like my show, please tell people, tweet about it, Facebook it. Follow us on Twitter, follow feralaudio.com on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, you can follow me at uh, Matt underscore Dwyer at twitter.com, and you can also email me at conversations with Matt with Dwyer at uh, the old Gmail there. Suggest uh, some guests to me. Why not, huh? Uh, also, uh, donate money if you can. I know, tough times. Real tough times. But uh, we're real skin of the teeth here, and uh, sometimes, uh, you know, I'm broke. I, I hate to admit it, but sometimes I, I need gas money to go interview people. That'd be cool. Or if you can't donate money, uh, just go to the Amazon website there and buy something through Amazon. If you're going to buy something, use my link on our, our, our page at feralaudio.com. And uh, that way you don't have to give any money, And it, but we, Amazon does. Make them fuckers give out some money once in a while. And uh, if, uh, you know, uh, go around the feralaudio.com site and check out some of the other shows. There's a lot of really great shows. Don Teeny, Johnny Pepperton, Duncan Russell, Little Esther. There's all kinds of them. Be please be my girlfriend. Check them out, everybody. Uh, thank you for listening, and I will talk to you real soon. Peace out, yo. Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.